You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going on, everybody? It's another another installment of Shooting It Straight with me, Justin Jackson, um, and John. First one back since the uh, the live post game that we did uh, after the game in uh, Battle for Atlantis against Villanova. Um, we get a big time win uh, this past game against Tennessee, a hundred to ninety two. Uh, it's the type of game that every fan loves to watch and. Uh, for me, as an offensive guy, I love to watch a bunch of scoring, a bunch of fast-paced tempo game. Um, but I think there were some good things and some uh, some things that they can obviously still get better at, which is, for me, a positive in a game like this where they basically dominated them the entire first half. Um, 60 points in the first half is, for me, is kind of uh, – uh, you're playing at the best you can possibly play in college basketball if you score 60 points and a half. And so I think there was a few different, you know, a few different guys, obviously, that that played well. You know, I mean, Mondo had the double-double, 22 and 11, and RJ, 27. Um, but, you know, I'm going to always gonna always ride on that bandwagon with Harrison Ingram and uh, – the different things that he does for this team offensively and defensively. You saw the first two shots he shot were catch and shoot threes, um, which, you know, obviously we've talked about this, this entire season is, is shooting the ball around Mondo and around RJ, you know, there for a second, I was kind of getting worried that my takes as far as this team being a better shooting team than years prior were, uh, were going to be some bad takes, but, you know, last night, obviously 42% from three and, a bunch of different guys getting involved with it. Um, you know, so I think that was uh that was that was a a statement game for sure. You know, I think when you look at the first half, I mean, everything was clicking. Defensively, their intensity and their effort level was the best I've seen all season. Um it took it took Tennessee out of their offense basically every time they came down the floor. Um, you know, and I think that goes kind of to the the switching schemes that they have, the way that Harrison kind of gives them some versatility defensively being able to switch out on guards and still be able to guard them. Um, you know, I do want to say, I hope that um, the young fella from Tennessee, I hope his ankle is, is okay. I hope that he, um, you know, is able to come back from that because he was having an unbelievable game. Uh, I think his Dalton connect 
I mean, 37 points in the Dean Dome is is pretty freaking impressive. Um, so obviously prayers to him and his you know ankle and his journey getting back. But, you know, UNC, I thought was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, there's a few few things that I think that we could talk about. But what did you what did you see while you were watching the game? Well, Justin, I want to say Roy Williams's favorite phrase might have been everything looks better when the ball goes in the basket. <laughs> How about the podcasts are a lot more fun to do after a UNC win and after <laughs> the ball goes in the basket there, too. So this is going to be an exciting episode of Shooting It Straight. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors as well. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. Uh, they're your home for Tar Heel gear and Congruity HR where Tar Heel fans can get a free payroll and HR needs assessment. I think there was so much exciting about last night's game, you know, just kind of watching it. Um, I think one thing that really stood out to me is Elliot Cadeau's play. Um, he's kind of like that quarterback who has every single, can make every single throw on the field, just like the variety of different passes that he made. Um, and not, not just his assists, because he, he had a 10 assists, but he was throwing unique passes to get out of the press breaks. He was, you know, making swing passes to get to the ball to the opposite corner for corner threes. Uh, he was the first Tar Heel to have 10 assists and zero turnovers in a game since Marcus Page on uh, February 21st of 2015 against Georgia Tech. So another stat that makes sort of wow. uh, his performance stand out. What did you see from Elliot Cadeau last night, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what's crazy is he was 0 for 5 from the field, mm -hmm. you know, and so most people would look at that and be like, oh, he didn't have a great game. Um, but we've talked about all season just his pace and his ability to kind of control how the game is going offensively. You know, I think it's it was something super small, but for me as I'm watching the game and I'm, I'm watching as the game kind of comes to an end and there's, I think, a couple minutes left and, Tennessee still they're still fighting. Obviously, we haven't talked about the second half yet, but Tennessee was still fighting. They were trying to come back. And I think Tennessee might have gotten a steal or offense or a, a defensive rebound and got out in transition. We got to stop. Um, and Elliott had a chance to get out in transition, but instead brought the ball up, you know, slowed the tempo down, ran a play, knowing that, you know, obviously it at that point, the clock is your friend, and all you want to do is try to get as much time off the clock this next possession, get a good one at the end of the shot clock, and you know try to come out with a win that way. But as a freshman, to see that, a lot of freshmen will just take that and just go. It's just an opportunity to get out in transition. Let's go. And to see him do that, and then like you said, some of the passes he was you know, delivering, I think a big thing is it's one thing to pass. It's another thing to give people the opportunity to, to – you know, get the ball in scoring positions. And I think when you see him make certain passes, you know, whether it's to a shooter, it's right in the shooting pocket, or it's to a guy down low, it's in a, in a place where they can catch it and go right up. So it's impressive to see the way that he's able to, you know, run this team um, and, and make certain plays for certain guys as a freshman, for sure. You know, and, and, and you know, being 0 for 5, but still being able to play that way. You know, I think a lot of times as freshmen, you're if you haven't hit a shot at all, you're for sure thinking about, OK, I need to get one to go. I need to. But for him to continue to play zero turnovers in a game of that kind of intensity and, and against a, 
a team like Tennessee, I think was really impressive. Um, and, you know, I think it just kind of trickles down the rest of the team. You know, you kind of see, uh, you know, the way that everybody else is playing. Everybody else is, you know, more controlled. You know, they went on a spurt in the second half where, you know, they just missed shots and had some turnovers. And, you know, it was Tennessee's run. The best, you know, the way basketball works is it's a game of runs. You know, obviously you hope to not be on the 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 receiving end of, you know, another team making runs at you. But for them to, you know, stick with it through the second half um, and Elliott be able to control that pace, I think was huge. And it allowed RJ to just be aggressive offensively, you know, on the other side. And I think that's that's the thing that we've talked about is it just allows him to be who he is and do what he does. And that's just be, you know, put the ball in the bucket. So I think Elliot, uh, for me, you know, when we talk about who should be playing more, who should be starting, you know, that whole conversation, I think he kind of stamped his, you know, okay, I'm here and this is kind of my position uh, as the season goes on. And so that was really good to see. And I think, you know, even when you look at even when you look at everybody else, you know, kind of coming off the bench and the minutes that they gave, obviously Cormac came off the bench this game, coming back from his ankle injury. And he came in aggressive, got to the free throw line, hit a couple threes. Uh, and it, a lot of times it's who's going to produce off the bench and the bench minutes aren't going to be in a game of this magnitude. They're not going to be a lot. But when you look at guys like Jalen Washington, he came in eight minutes, three for three. Uh, provided a couple rebounds and things like that. I think Seth got got a decent opportunity. I think Seth is one of those guys that, um, you know, I could definitely see getting some more playing time as the game goes, as the season goes on, just with his consistency defensively and kind of knowing who he is offensively and being able to play to those strengths. So I think overall, when you look at this game, everybody gave something and, that's what's so encouraging for me is this was you know, obviously Villanova was a big game, but when it comes to, you know, this was a top 10 matchup and you're playing against a top 10 team that's coming in and years prior, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the actual record is, but I know for me, when I was at school, Tennessee was a tough out. I think we won by like, you know, for sure single digits, but it was a tough game the entire game we played against them. I know the year after I left, I think Kenny hit a game-winning shot against them. And so playing against a team like this coming into the Dean Dome, I think that they gave the effort and the intensity that that was needed and what we talked about after that Villanova game of, you know, what kind of team do they really want to be. And, you know, I think once again, it was definitely a statement win and kind of showed people what they can you know, just kind of the tip of the iceberg and what they can be. I think you also have to give some credit to the environment last night in the Smith Center. I thought it was a really positive environment. You see guys like Harrison, uh, who is just so fired up at so many different <laughs> points of the game. I think he really feeds off that energy. Another point I wanted to hit on was the three-point shooting and kind of dive in a little bit deeper there. So last night was the most three-pointers attempted uh, in a game for UNC last season. So they were definitely sort of firing away. And something that stood out to me as well is a lot of these three-point shots are assisted. Uh, CBB Analytics, which is one of my go-to sites, they have a stat around uh, assisted uh, shots, like at, at different zones. 
And according to that uh, stat provider, all of UNC's corner threes this season have been assisted, which is in the 100th percentile of uh, teams around the country. You know, you're not going to have too many uh, pull-up three-pointers from the corner, but I think that <laughs> speaks to the fact that UNC is really swinging the ball, moving the ball well, and finding shooters all up and down the roster. I can even think of one where Armando found a shooter on kind of a short roll last night. Um, so UNC has shooters, but they're also doing a better job of finding them at good spots on the court. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just it's one of the, the aspects that I think makes this team so much more exciting to watch. You know, I think there was there was one possession where I remember uh, when you think of ball movement and you think of you know beautiful basketball offensively, this was the per it was the perfect picture of that. You know, I think Armando got the ball in the in the post, or I think it might have been Harrison, and they they sent a double team at him, and Harrison kicked it right out to the guy that was on the wing in front of him. He swung it to the guy at the top. He swung it to the guy on the the, the other wing, and then they swung it to the corner for you know, wide open three and he made it. I think that right there is what makes this team so intriguing. You know, years prior, a lot of times, the, you know, unfortunately the guy on the receiving end in that corner wasn't necessarily a guy that you were really worried about shooting the ball. And so now you've got guys, four guys around Mondo that you're worried about, you know, and I think too, to go kind of to that point of three point shooting, Harrison's versatility offensively causes some issues that opens up a lot of shots for guys on the perimeter. You know, you see a lot of times whenever he doesn't have the drive immediately, he goes right into a back down post up. And if he doesn't have his you know quick hook shot or quick turnaround, a lot of times he's making plays for guys out of the post as well. So that's what kind of gives this team a little bit more of a different look is it's not always Mondo getting the ball in the paint. It's not always him getting the ball out of the short roll, out of the pick and roll. It's a lot of times it's Harrison, you know, coming off of those situations and creating situations for other guys. And, you know, I think that's just, that's what's so hard is if you're going to double either one of those guys in the post, you have to worry about these kickout threes. And if, if, if North Carolina is moving the ball and playing unselfishly like they are, it's going to be hard to rotate and, and cover everything. We always say defensively, you got to give something up. And if you're going to give up a quarter three to a shooter, that's going to be a tough game for you, especially if they have it going the way that they had it going last night. So, you know, a lot of times with this with this team, it's just a matter of are they going to be able to hit enough threes because we know Mondo inside is going to get enough attention. Obviously, now everybody knows Harrison likes to mix it up inside as well. So, you know, that they're going to cause some issues inside. So now teams, if they make adjustments to attack that defensively and double them and send another guy at them, are they going to be able to make enough shots outside? And I think the guys that, you know, are shooting the ball for this team are guys that are very capable, capable of making plays, you know, off the dribble, but also capable of knocking down catch and shoot threes. You know, I think when I look at Harrison's stat, stat line, you know, he had 20 points, but he shot eight threes. Coming into this year, I don't know if Harrison has ever shot eight threes in a game and either hit four threes or, you know, been as confident shooting the three from that perspective. So having guys be able to step into shots and confidently make them and, 
like you said, Harrison, Cormac, all those guys. You even see Elliott and RJ kind of get, you know, riled up a little bit whenever they make big plays. Having that intensity is what kind of gets me excited is, you know, especially last year, you never really saw guys get really into the game and kind of lose themselves. So I think that's uh, <clears throat> I think that's something that's going to be very good for them going forward, and hopefully they can take that, you know, into the next games. I'm doing a quick check here. Looks like Harrison went three of nine from three last year against Washington State. But yeah, I think your point holds. This is one of his best shooting games, certainly as a Tar Heel, but maybe overall in his career going four of eight from the three-point line uh, last night. I do want to flip over to the other side of the ball a little bit. Let's talk about UNC's defense because I think there is some uh, opportunities for improvement there. We already mm-hmm. talked about Dalton Necht. Uh, Necht uh, he played a great game. That's just an individual performance. I mean, he was hitting some shots in like the corner three zone where you know you just can't guard that really. Um, but also Tennessee shot really well uh, from the two point uh, range. They were twenty six of thirty five on two pointers last night. Obviously, they scored 92 points as well, which is pretty high. Justin, what did you see from UNC on the defensive end? And can you also sort of speak to UNC's defensive strategy of kind of, it looks like they were switching everything on the perimeter and and trying to get uh, the right matchups for um, themselves in each possession? Yeah, I mean, um, when you watch the first half, like I said before, their ball pressure, uh, their full court pickup, their intensity, it took Tennessee really out of, everything that they had you know when you look at Tennessee last night they had two guys really that were doing everything for them and in the first half James was really the guy that kept them you know even as close as they were you know he was making some timely buckets uh getting some offensive rebounds things like that so I think the first half when you look at their off their defense they came out and played exactly how they were supposed to play you know they were fired up for this game Intensity wise, they were all over the floor. The switching, I think, is something that is a game changer, especially in college basketball. I think a lot of times, especially this year, when you look at college basketball, the fives on the floor usually aren't able to switch and guard multiple positions. You know, you look at a guy who's like a national player of the year, like Zach Eady. A lot of times, Purdue doesn't want him switching on a guard. So they're going to have him in some sort of coverage or, you know, maybe showing and trying to get back. Or with a guy like Mondo or when they go small with Harrison or even Jalen Withers or Jalen Washington, being able to switch takes other teams out of the offense that they're used to being able to run. And so I think that's what you kind of saw in the first half for sure is I don't know if Tennessee was necessarily ready for okay, we're running this action to try to get Mondo, you know, on a guard. And all of a sudden Mondo's switching and he's able to stay in front of a guard or we're doing all of these actions. And now all of a sudden Harrison is the one switching onto a guard. Those things cause problems for offenses. I think Tennessee did a great job in the second half of changing their offensive mentality and putting the ball in Dalton's hands because him being 6'9", being able to play make off the dribble. Even if you send a double, he's big enough that he can see things. So I think to their credit, they made some changes in the second half that kind of, you know, made North Carolina make, you know, figure out what they wanted to do defensively. 
But then you saw, you know, one big thing that we talked about in the Villanova game was why were we not hitting or doubling a uh, big fella down low when he had it going? I think as, you know, and I don't want to get his last name wrong and keep saying his last name wrong, but so I'm just going to say Dalton. Um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's an interesting one. Um, but as he got it going, obviously, you know, 37 points, it's, you know, he just, he was in a different zone. But as he got it going, a lot of times when you saw guys coming up into screens, then they would just trap the ball screen, you know, and make him give the ball up and make somebody else be the playmaker and make a play. And so I think that kind of adjustment for sure helped North Carolina, but it's also, you know, it shows that, okay, if they get in games where a certain guy has it going, they can go to this and still play defense out of rotations and not give up a lot of, you know, open looks or things like that. So, you know, I think there were definitely some, some parts of the game where I think North Carolina, like you said, defensively, you know, they, you know, Tennessee shot 55%, you know, from inside the three point line. And a lot of that was either, you know, there were some straight line drives, you know, some blow buys, there were some offensive rebounds. There were, you know, they're big, you know, hit a couple shots, you know, kind of mid post, you know, face up shots. So, you know, overall, I think the way that they play defense was exactly how they, you know, were supposed to come out. And I think it's if they play defense that way, you know, throughout the season, you know, hopefully they don't have many guys that put up 37 in games and, you know, play really well from that standpoint. And if they play defense the way they played last night. I think it's it's going to cause some issues, you know, especially against teams that, you know, aren't necessarily as good as Tennessee or don't have players as good as Tennessee. So I'm excited to see if they're able to take this momentum. Um, and, you know, whether it's they're playing on the road and, or some of these games coming up that are neutral sites or they're at home, hopefully they can take that energy level and, you know, take it into every game. Yeah, Tennessee shot uh, 55% on field goals last night, 32% from three. And then on two pointers, they actually shot 74.3%. They were 22 of, of 35. What about offensively for North Carolina in the second half? It looks like such a big part of the first half was tempo and UNC was mm-hmm. really being aggressive with the ball and, and pushing this, the pace. Do you think maybe they took their foot off the gas too much in the second half, trying to, like you said, bleed the clock um, or, you know, the clock is your friend there as well. What, what did you see from UNC offensively in the second half? Because we already sort of talked about how Tennessee climbed back in the game. Um, but UNC, uh, you know, what did you see there? You know, I think it was just, uh, you know, like you said, to start the podcast off, it's it's everything is way better when you're making shots. And I think in the second half, they just went cold for, for a decent stretch. You know, they had some turnovers that, you know, were kind of ill-advised and maybe they were, you know, moving a little too fast or, you know, trying to slow the ball a little too much. Um, but I think a lot of times when these runs happen, got, you know, teams just kind of go cold. You know, and the, the runs are in this game was 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 pretty was was a really big one. You know, obviously you'd like to keep runs a little bit smaller and try to get the momentum back on your side. But when I look at kind of the the way that the game was going, you know, they were stuck on 78 for a while, which a lot of times when you look at it, it was a you know, there was a missed missed three pointer, missed layup, turnover. Uh, miss jumper, miss layup, 
you know, so it's a miss, you know, miss, miss layup by Elliot, you know, so it's, it, you, as you go throughout that time, when you really pay attention to it, it's not necessarily something that they were doing wrong. It was just, they weren't hitting shots at the same clip that they were hitting in the first half. And, you know, in the first half was unbelievable how they were playing offense. You, you can't expect them to be able to play that well the entire game. It just doesn't work that way in basketball. So when you see that, you know, having turnovers, having missed shots, to still be able to kind of, you know, grab the ropes back, you know, and I think there for a while they got – Tennessee got the game down to like seven, and then I think North Carolina took a timeout and they got the ball – they got the lead back up to 15. And when you see a team be able to bounce back and do that and still keep the composure and keep, you know, their mindset the right the same way, I think that's a great sign because there's going to be games like this where you're not going to be up 22 points against a team like this. You might only be up seven and they might make a run where they go up five or they go up 10. And how are you going to bounce back from that situation? And so that's, that's what makes me encouraged even watching is that, you know, as I'm watching, I'm kind of like, man, you know, I'm talking, I've got in-laws that are huge Tennessee fans and, you know, I'm talking trash to them as the game goes on. And, you know, as that as that as that lead starts going down to all of a sudden it's down to twelve and it's down to nine and they hit another three, it's down to seven. And it's like, hold on. Like, you know, you start getting a little nervous. But for them to be able to bounce back, kind of gain control of the game again and get that lead back up and finish the game out, I think is is the biggest takeaway from that. Um, and so I don't think it's necessarily anything you know, that that they need to look at and change, you know, maybe shot selection within those misses, you know, maybe the shot selection wasn't great during that time or, you know, it was, uh, you know, maybe they just weren't getting the best quality shots like they were getting in the first half. But for me, when I watch it, I think it was just a matter of they were just missing some shots and Tennessee was coming down the other end and making some. And so I think that's, that's kind of the biggest thing for me. And, you know, as we go, you know, throughout the rest of the season, I think it's in a game like this, I think it kind of shows certain things. It shows, can they bounce back from runs? It shows who should be playing, who should be playing more. Um, and I think that's kind of, for me, when I watch this game, I think when I, when I say Elliot's kind of stamped his position, you know, whether it is starting or coming off the bench, I think playing that much is what Elliott needs to be doing for this team. I think obviously Cormac, whether he's in that starting lineup or he's coming off the bench, I think is the other guy that's going to, you know, be huge for these guys. And then, you know, for me right now, I think it's Seth being the defensive on the defensive end for me is, is what I think gives him the most opportunity to play more. And for me, I, I was, you know, I love, Jalen Washington and what he brings offensively. You know, I wouldn't even mind seeing Jalen Washington play alongside Mondo sometimes, you know, because I think sometimes the issue that Jalen Washington runs into is defensively, he's obviously just not, he's not a physical type of player, you know, and, and coming from somebody who's was in that same position and, you know, still I'm not this physical brute. I can respect that because he has other ways that he can affect the game. And so I think if you were to see Jalen Washington going at the four, 
that causes issues because he's able to stretch the floor, but it still gives offensive rebounding opportunity. It gives us better rebounding defensive, defensively. Um, gives us better rim protection still. So I wouldn't even mind seeing him play alongside Mondo a little bit, you know, and, you know, obviously defensively, if he can, if he's able to stay in front of the ball a little bit better, if he's able to kind of show a little bit more physicality, I think, you know, he's another guy that could possibly have, you know, some more minutes. But for me, the way that they played last night, you know, some guys played some big minutes, but at the end of the day to win games, sometimes guys have to, you know, kind of suck it up. And that's what preseason conditioning's for. That's what, you know, the practices are for, the running after practices. That's what all that is for is for games like this when you got to play 37, 38 minutes or, you know, you got to play stretches of nine, 10 minutes at a time. And, you know, you got to kind of push through that and still be able to produce for the team. So I think that's kind of, that's kind of what I, what I took from the game. And, you know, I think going into their first conference game, I think kind of watching how they played this game, you know, I haven't seen too much of Florida state, but kind of watching how they played against a team like this, if they're able to to take this into the next game, I think, you know, they're more than capable of coming out, you know, with the win and, you know, I think pretty handedly. So I'm, I'm interested to see if they're able to do that going into these next, next few games. Yeah. And I think it's a good point to bring up as well. UNC heading into ACC play. I think the ACC is, is wide open this year. I mean, you look at uh, some of the, the top teams in the conference, obviously Duke, just lost last night to Arkansas, who UNC uh, beat earlier in the season. You have Virginia, which is obviously always Virginia. Clemson, which has gotten off to a hot start. Um, but there's not like, you know, that elite team uh, in the conference. Uh, so I think that, uh, and you know, when you look at the overall conference depth as well, this isn't the strongest the ACC has been, especially like historically when you were playing, Justin. So first conference game, on Saturday for North Carolina against Florida State um, and an opportunity to kind of set the tone for an ACC year when, you know, there maybe isn't that dominant team. Someone's going to have to to win it. So why not have it be North Carolina? Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's, you know, it's definitely wide open. Um, teams from top to bottom aren't necessarily as strong as I was looking. I was saw some sort of stat that they don't even have the ACC in the top five of the strongest conferences this year which is wild to see because for the longest it was anytime you brought up what's the best conference acc was the first out of people's mouth so i think that that gives north carolina an opportunity to take advantage of you know timing and situations i think now when you when you look at it like you said you know those guys down the road lost to arkansas last you know right after the game against tennessee and you see games like virginia and you know, you're just kind of seeing different looks of the ACC. You know, I, I watched some highlights of Virginia, and, you know, they're known for obviously the pack line defense. Defensively, they're hard to play against. But offensively, they look totally different. You, ha you had guys shooting off the dribble threes. You had guys, you know, playing off of ISO basketball and, you know, taking it down the lane and dunking it. You know, so it's just a different look this year in the ACC. So it should be should be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch as fans, you know, kind of seeing those different matchups and different games. Uh, but, you know, obviously that's North Carolina's job to kind of take, you know, this conference by, you know, by storm and kind of take the lead of it. And, 
you know, anytime you're able to get out to a good start, you know, in the season, especially in the conference play, I think it gives you more confidence, uh, but it also gives you some, you know, down the road, whenever you're kind of in the thick of conference play, it gives you kind of some, you know, we've played this team already, some things that we did really well to beat them. Um, so it gives you some things that you can take going forward, uh, especially as the season kind of gets into that daunting stage of, okay, we've already played this team before. Now we got to play them again. What do we need to do? So I'm interested to see how they kind of take that. But I think, you know, against Tennessee, I think it was a huge encouraging sign for me. And I think, you know, even though they, you know, now Tennessee has three losses, I think it was still a statement win from the standpoint of just showing kind of the country what this team is capable of doing on both ends of the floor. So I'm excited for this team. It's also a good sign heading into the rest of the gauntlet. We've talked about Florida State, but Connecticut, UConn is coming up. Kentucky is coming up and Oklahoma is coming up. So (laughs) it gives you a lot of confidence heading into those games as well. Uh, Justin, I did want to get to a listener submitted question this week. Um, For anyone listening, feel free to uh, send a question along via the Inside Carolina message boards, tweet it at, at Jackson. Uh, uh, at Jackson's uh, Twitter account. What's your, what's your Twitter account, Justin? Can you tell people? I think it's jjax underscore 44. I'm All not right. totally sure. Uh, I don't have it on my phone, but we will for sure make sure that we uh, look at all the questions and and get those uh, figured out if we want to bring those onto the show and things like that. So, yes, for sure send that to um, my Twitter, or obviously John's Twitter if you need to, so that we can make sure that we get those and we can talk about those a little bit. It's a little easier for me to see it. I have a few less followers than uh, Justin. So. <laughs> but we had a question this week around uh, coaching attire. So kind of a fun one. This is submitted from uh, listener Alex. Uh, she was asking about uh, coaching and what they what coaches wear. During the pandemic, a lot of coaches went away um, from the suit and tie look that was so common. You think of Roy Williams, who wore a suit and tie for so many games over all the years. Justin, do you want to see head coaches... You know, dressed in a suit and tie, or do you like it when they're in that more casual gear, or maybe wearing a Hawaiian shirt when they're in the uh, battle for Atlantis? You know, I, for me, I don't really mind. Um, I think Coach Davis wearing the suit brings some nostalgia for me. Um, obviously, everybody knows Coach Williams and how he used to wear his suits, and you know, if he used to get mad, he used to tear that suit off and. A lot of times, you know, people don't really know, but if we ever lost a game and he wore a certain suit, he wouldn't wear that suit for the rest of the season. And, you know, I think that was, it was funny for us as players because for me, I'm not a superstitious guy. So, you know, if I have a bad game in a certain pair of shoes, I'm not going to throw those shoes away and never wear those again. Uh, For me, it's, I just had a bad game. You know, that's just kind of what happened. Uh, But certain people, you know, they take those, you know, superstitions and they, are real serious about it. So for Coach Williams, that was kind of something for him. And so now seeing Coach Davis with the, uh, you know, with the suit back on, you know, for you know, he's got a little bit of a different look with the with the polo on underneath the the suit jacket. You know, I I don't think I ever saw that with with Coach Williams. Uh, so so Coach Davis is kind of bringing a little razzle dazzle of his own to that sideline, which I think is interesting. But for me, I, I don't really mind either one. You know, I think 
I'm a real relaxed guy anyways. All I wear is really sweats or, you know, joggers and things like that if I don't have to wear anything else. So for me, if, if you, if you want to wear a little, if you want to wear a polo or a Hawaiian shirt or, you know, some Lululemon pants on the sideline, if you want to do that, like I'm, I'm cool with it, but kind of seeing coach Davis back in that suit and in what he was wearing, I think is definitely nostalgic for me. And I think is a, is a, you know, I think it kind of brings, you know, then you see coach Williams, you know, watching the game up there and, you know, it just kind of brings a little bit of that old, that old look to it. And, uh, you know, I don't, Coach Davis is doing an unbelievable job coaching. Uh, you know, now he's kind of bringing his swagger when it comes to his attire. So, hey, look, whatever whatever brings out wins and whatever gets his his guys going and gets him going coaching-wise, I'm all for it. You mentioned Roy Williams was a little bit superstitious. Do you think Coach Davis, Hubert Davis, is superstitious as well? Does he share some of that with his uh, predecessor? You know, I don't know. I, I never really talked to him too much about superstition, but I never really saw I never really saw things, you know, as he was an assistant with us. I never saw him do certain things that were, you know, you could say were superstitious. You know, Coach Davis never really seemed that way. He always wore the same shoes. It seemed like the same outfit uh, to coach in for practice. You know, so I think Coach Davis, I think, is just kind of go with the flow type of guy. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if maybe against, you know, that game against Villanova, if he threw that, you know, threw that shirt or half quarter zip that he had on, if he threw that away or not, or if he still comes into the office with it. So, you know, whatever Coach Davis is doing, I, I think is a positive right now. And uh, he should just continue doing what he's doing because uh, it seems to be working. Shooting It Straight podcast is coming to you every Thursday on the Inside Carolina YouTube channel. Uh, check us out on whatever you listen to your podcast on as well. One final stat from me before we get out of here today, Justin. Everyone's talking about the Elliot Cadeau, Kendall Marshall comparisons. <laughs> I looked this up. Kendall Marshall did not reach 10 assists until his 22nd game as a Tar Heel. Elliot Cadeau got it in his seventh game. And he is also a young kid. He should be a high school senior. So I think that bodes well uh, for the rest of the season for the Tar Heels. Justin, anything left? Uh, get us out of here after a big win over Tennessee last night. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we've been waiting for uh, is this North Carolina team to come out and play with that intensity against a you know a great opponent you know like this. I think it just going forward against kind of the gun like we talk about, I think it's going to be huge. Once again, to everybody listening, obviously, I'm kind of I kind of have a little I don't know if it's allergies, a little sinus congestion, whatever it is. But I appreciate y'all listening, and hopefully, y'all are able to make it through without you know turning it off or just turning subtitles on because I totally understand. But uh, we thank you once again for for tuning in and kind of listening to us talk about this North Carolina team a little bit. Um, I think it's going to be very, very fun to watch as the season goes on. Um, and, yeah, I hope everybody has an unbelievable day. hope everybody has an unbelievable week. And uh, until next time. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.